The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from John 15, 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, TK, for reading that passage for us this morning. Um, Ash Wednesday. If you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service, I want to really encourage you to come if, you, if you're around and available um, this coming Wednesday. Uh, it, it's funny, as I was thinking about it, um, you, you can put it in the category for us as part of the Rhythm for Cool Springs of Good Friday, the candlelight Christmas Eve service and Ash Wednesday are, are kind of three liturgical services that we have during the year that are that are um, meaningful and they help us they help us kind of prepare for the things that we're celebrating Ash Wednesday be- marks the beginning of Lent which is a season of repentance uh, and a season of anticipating really celebrating Easter and so we go through the process of remembering our own mortality. And I grew up in a church, this actually ties into this passage um, that TK just read. I grew up in a church, in a Catholic church. My parents became Christians when I was about five years old. And we started going to this Catholic church where I experienced an Ash Wednesday service for the first time. And so back in those days, at least where I was, if you saw somebody walking around with the smudge on their forehead, you're like, that's a Catholic. Um, these days, a lot of Protestant churches do it as well because it's a season, it's, it's a time for us to go into Lent as a way of really remembering um, our, our standing before the Lord, but also remembering that death is not the end of the story because what will happen at that service is toward the end, you will come up to the front and I will put ashes on your forehead, but I won't just do that. I'll lean in and I'll say something to you. And what I will say to you is this. I will say, remember that one day you will come to die. That's what I'll say. And that's what they say during Ash Wednesday is memento more. Remember that you have to die. And the reason that we do that is because we're preparing to celebrate Easter, where the whole point of Easter is that death is not the last word. 
And so that's what will happen there. The way this ties into this passage is when I was growing up in the Catholic Church and would go to these masses, this was a small church that held maybe 150 people in the little sanctuary there, and there were two banners that hung on the wall my entire time attending that church, and one of them said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And when I think about that verse, whenever I see it, I can't help but think of it as one of my verses, one of the ones that was in front of my eyes all the time. And in a very real sense, what I'm describing to you is how a passage of Scripture wasn't just familiar to me, but abided in me. It abided in me. It lived inside of my heart. It lived inside of my mind. It was a verse that I saw all the time in a context where it was my church experience. And that verse, whenever I see it even still, I think of it as that's one of my verses. Even though, you get it, all of Scripture is for us. That verse lived in me for a long time. And that's an example of what abiding is um, in this passage. Now, I want to use another illustration to talk about this as well. And I'm going to be a little bit, you know, revealing about myself. And that is, as, as I get older, I found something is happening to me that didn't used to happen. And it's this, is that I find myself responding to live music by weeping. I don't know. I don't know why this started. It just has. And I'm not talking about like worship music. I'm not even talking about music that you might consider to be religious in some nature. It's just being in the presence of live, of music being performed live, where you can tell that the person or people performing it mean it, just stirs something in me deeply. And the most recent time this happened was earlier this week, where I watched on my computer. Some of you already are like, it's got to be one of three. I watched Luke Combs and Tracy Chapman perform Fast Car on the Grammys. And I didn't watch it live, like when, the, when it was being aired. I watched it in that office right over there on my computer screen. It just cried like a baby. And the reason I did is because out of nowhere, that song just came flooding back as a song that has abided in me since the 1980s. It's one of my songs. In that song, she sings these words. She says, see, my old man's got a problem. He lives in a bottle. That's the way it is. Said his body's too old for working and his body's too young to look like this. So mama went off and left him. She wanted more from life than he could give. I said, somebody's got to take care of him. So I quit school and that's what I did. And that is a sad song right there. And when I was a kid, I didn't have categories for the sadness of that song. I just knew that it was a really good song. But as I get older, I have categories for that kind of stuff now, right? That's part of just experiencing life as we see the suffering and the cost of relationships and all those things. And one of the things that just broke me as I watched this was seeing the way that Luke Combs was standing in just complete reverence of Tracy Chapman um, when he was performing that. And it was just stirring to me. And I started to cry watching it. And, and, I, and I wondered why, why am I being so moved by this? And it's because I'm seeing somebody 
who had this song abiding in them from the time they were young have this experience where it was coming alive for them in, in, in real time as they're performing it with the person who wrote it. And then I thought about how I've carried that song around since, since back when MTV showed music videos, which is a whole thing. It's tough to explain. Little movies that have a song. It's a thing. We, we don't do it anymore. But anyway, art is like this, though. Music abides in us. Songs abide in us. It's why we have songs that we hear and we say, that's my song. Turn that up. That's my song. And it's the same with art. It's the same with paintings, with poems, with books. It's that we don't just interact with them, but we internalize them. You don't just memorize a poem. You, you, you take in the poem. You take in the language of it, the meaning of it. And these things become part of the fabric of our lives. They, they become voices that factor in to how we interpret the world as we move through it. They're, they're comforts to us. These words and images, they show us back to ourselves. I don't want to suggest for one minute that when Jesus talks about him abiding in us and us abiding in him, that this is exactly what he means. But it also helps us understand what he means. Because I think that we carry art and music and poetry and stories, and the way we carry them does help us understand what he means because he's speaking about something that is crucial to our understanding of him. And that is that we are whole people. And what I mean by that is we're not just minds, but we are whole people. We have a physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, financial, relational self. And it's all part of our being. It's all part of who we are as we move through the world and connect deeply with other people. And it's that God made us this way. He made us to be people who are multi-layered in the ways that we engage with the world. God is the one who made us to be people who respond to songs with tears. And I bring this up because I don't think we're going to grasp what Jesus is saying in today's text if we don't understand this, that Jesus is telling us that we aren't just with him. But what he's telling us is we're in him and that he is in us. And so in the way that a song becomes our song or a book becomes this one that we hold with reverence for, for how it came to us at just the right time. You know that experience where you read a book and you, you know that it's a great book, but you also know that you're reading it at the right moment. And it's helping you understand something about the world and yourself and it's formative and it's true and it changes how you see and understand the world. That beauty isn't just something that we're aware of now intellectually. It lives in us. It resides in us. It's a part of us. It would be hard to separate it out from us. That's what Jesus is describing in his relationship with us when he uses this image, this word picture, this metaphor, this parable, if you will, because there are characters in it. He says he is the true vine, and that we are the branches off of that true vine. And then there's the Father who is the vine dresser. And what Jesus is talking about is what it means to be in a relationship with him. That we abide in him 
in the way a branch abides in the vine and is tended to by the vine dresser, that he lives in us and he flows through us as his disciples. And so the idea is that our lives are meant to bear spiritual fruit. Your life and mine, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, our li- it's not that he tells us, I want you to go out there and bear fruit. He says, you will bear fruit because you're a vine off of me, the branch. But the only kind of fruit that we produce is the kind that comes from Jesus. And the Father's role is to tend to our lives in such a way that we bear this spiritual fruit for the glory of his Son, the vine, the true vine. And here Jesus tells us that those branches that don't bear fruit, they they get cut off and disposed of. But those that do... It's not that the father looks at those that do bear fruit and says, that's a really good branch. Instead, what he does is he tends to it. He prunes, he dresses, he trains that. And that's the idea here. There's there's a word actually in in the original language in this that talks about the father as the vine dresser tending to to these vines. And it conveys this idea of he lifts the non-fruit-bearing branches off of the ground. And so a grapevine can't bear good fruit while it is lying in the dirt. And so what does the vine dresser do? The vine dresser lifts the vine out of the dirt and he trains it to grow along a structure. And you will not find a better definition of sanctification than that. The Father lifts you up out of the dirt and trains you how to grow. That is the definition of sanctification. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives is training us to grow rightly, lifting us out of the dirt. And as his branches, our lives bear fruit. But we can't take any credit for the fruit. Because if it was just us, just the branches, there would be no fruit at all. Because we do not produce the fruit. Only Jesus produces the fruit. He just does it through our lives. He means to use us. Without a primary vine rooted in the ground, we would produce nothing. But we get to be part of the process by his grace, in his good pleasure. And Christ produces fruit that comes from our lives. And our part in all of that (coughs) is to be shaped and formed and trained by him as his life Courses through us. And Jesus tells the believer, this is God's design for your life. But it's all connected. It's about more than just going out and achieving stuff. It's about the whole of our lives being connected to the whole of his life. Another picture of this. A number of years ago, I took a trip to Israel with a group And we landed in Tel Aviv, and we drove from Tel Aviv up the coast to Caesarea. And as we were driving along the coastal plains from Tel Aviv to Caesarea, all of the hillsides inland were covered in purple vineyards. Like these were vineyards that were ready for harvest. And it was just beautiful to see these Vines heavy with, with grapes and so <clears throat> obviously full of this rich color. 
And it was a beautiful thing to see because you got to remember that Israel is mostly a desert. And our guide, our tour guide, who would be showing us all the things on that trip, he, he would get particularly excited and animated when we'd drive past these vineyards. And he would tell everybody, look, look at those vineyards. Look how beautiful. <coughs> look how ready it is for harvest. And he always made the same point when he would point at those vines. He, he, he told us the same thing. Must have done it half a dozen times over the course of that trip. And he would say this into the little microphone on the bus. He would say, <coughs> he would say, do you know what I see when I look at those vines heavy with grapes? Because you may look at those vines heavy with grapes and see the potential for wine. But what I see is water. Specifically, I see water growing out of the ground in a desert. I see the possibility of life for my people because water grows out of the ground in the desert. And I can't stop thinking about that image because what he's saying is, you know, for, for, the, for the, the modern mind, we think this, what's growing here, is a crop. And the crop gets turned into bottles of wine and it's a fruit that makes a drink. But to a first century Israelite living in a desert, vineyards were about more than a drink that pairs well with a steak. Right? What they were talking about was grapes are part of our survival. And they're preserved through a fermentation process to sustain us during the dry seasons. Water grows out of the ground for us in a desert. And the vine dresser, the vine dresser was very particular about the vines because they were growing water out of the ground in a desert. And so what did they want? They wanted to be able to produce as much as they possibly could. And what did that mean? It meant training and pruning these vines so that they would grow with efficiency and purpose and nothing would be wasted. And Jesus says that this is what it's like to be in a relationship with him. He cares about us. He intends to bear fruit through our lives. And so his life courses through us to produce spiritual water and a spiritual desert, and this pleases the Father. It's important for us to see the depth of what Jesus is saying about us here. Because we could focus on the fruit as though that's the main point. Okay, I'm a Christian. Jesus wants me to get out there and produce fruit. That's not the point Jesus is making. The point that he's making, you have to remember, when is he even making it? He's about to go to the cross. He's got his disciples who are about to have their world just rocked. Like, within hours, they're going to see him be arrested, beaten, crucified, killed, and buried. And what is he doing? He is preparing them 
for the life that follows. And he's saying, your life is grafted into my life. And what you're about to discover is death itself will not hold me. And you will bear fruit. He's not saying to his disciples, listen, when I ascend, I want you to get out there and give me all you've got. Go win souls for the kingdom. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is something about who we will be for the rest of our lives because he will defeat the grave. And it'll be holistic. It'll be every part of us. He's saying that we're whole people. Our physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, financial, and relational selves are all part of our being. And he will inhabit and he will train us as whole people, and he will move through every part of us. That's what it means when he talks about abiding in us and us abiding in him. You won't be able to separate where our life starts and his life ends. So we're, I think, five sermons into this sermon series on the Last Supper. And when I, you know, get into a sermon series, I'm always looking for through lines and looking for, you know, what are the themes that are kind of developing as we go. This series has been very unique for me. Uh, And one of the ways that it's been unique for me is that I have found that I have shared several deeply personal details about my life in the sermon series as they've related to the passages that we've studied. I've talked about my own conversion experience. Uh, I've talked about my complex relationship with my father when he was still alive. I've talked about my own personal relationship with Jesus. Even today, I've talked about how I cry when I hear and see songs being performed live. And listen, I'm not somebody who struggles to share personal details and stories from my life. I don't really worry about what people will do with personal things that I share. I'm I'm pretty open-handed with that kind of stuff. And yet throughout this series, it has felt to me deeper than what I typically share. And one of the things that I did this week as I was thinking about this sermon is I wondered why. Why am I being more self-disclosing? Why am I feeling drawn to do that? And this passage, I think, gets at why. And it's this, is that there's something that Jesus wants for his disciples in these chapters that I find myself wanting for us, wanting for you and wanting for me. And it's this, to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not simply to adopt a religion. And it's not simply to adopt a moral code or a view of the afterlife or a kind of belonging to a particular community. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to live in lockstep with Jesus in the way that he describes here as an abiding, engrafted relationship with him where everything is touched by it. Everything. And I don't want any of us to compartmentalize 
our faith in Jesus from any other part of our existence. Because here's the thing. If you're a Christian, there is never a time when you are away from the presence of Christ. Forgive the double negative there. You're never not with him, right? There's never a time when you're away from the presence of Christ. He is with you when you obey. And he is with you when you sin. And he's with you when you fail in that way that you've sworn off a thousand times and return to that pattern of behavior or speech that does violence to your own heart and your own community and you wonder why this particular sin still has its grip on you. There's never a time, never a time for the Christian when Christ isn't with you, when you feel the most alone, the most misunderstood, the most rejected, the most undervalued, he is with you. When you feel like all you do is give and give and give and nobody appreciates all the sacrifices you make, he is with you. He is with you when you are plagued by voices of condemnation and doubt and fear and anxiety and weariness of spirit and accusation. He is with you when you have the best day. That day that begins and ends in prayer and in between you serve others and you move through this world in a posture of humility and you extend patience with people who need you to extend them patience. He is with you and he is with you always in such a way that you are vine and fruit and his life flows through your life And your life produces the fruit that he creates. And the father, the vine dresser, he cares for you in this process. He lifts you up out of the dirt and he trains you to cling to the support that he provides. And he cuts off the parts of you that take life from you. And he redirects his nourishment through you in such a way that your life produces fruit that others desperately need. How could we ever take portions of our lives and carve them off from that and say, this part of me has nothing to do with Jesus? I've gotten so personal in this series, I think, because I don't want any of us to treat this relationship with Jesus like a game or some way to get God to do things for us because we're being good. And I certainly don't want any of us to think that Jesus is only present with us when we're really doing good and that he's absent or unaware of those places where we carry our deepest shame and those voices that are just always in our ear. As our true vine, Jesus' spirit and life courses through us, our whole selves, all of us. In him we find meaning in the things that matter. In our our friendships we find meaning. 
in our vocations, in our trials, in those things about us that we think are quirky. We are whole people in the eyes of Christ, and our entire life is connected to his, even those deepest parts. And so you're going to leave this place today, and you're going to step out into the rest of your week. But as you do know this, you don't step away from Christ, and you don't step away from his spirit, as though all that stays here. We step out of here as people who are grafted into the vine of the presence and life of Jesus, and he promises us that He will use our lives to bear much fruit, he says. We may not see that fruit in this life, but Jesus is saying he doesn't send us out with a toolkit and instructions, hoping that we'll return and show him all the good things we were able to do for him. No, what he does is he says that I'm going with you and I'm giving you everything you need. In fact, my life flows through you and the fruit you bear is the fruit that my spirit produces. He abides in us and we abide in him. Here's the other thing you need to know about that. He knows you. He knows who you are. He knows your limits. He knows knows who he's working with. No surprises there. And so you can put away that bewildered false modesty that makes you want to say, why would he ever want to work through somebody like me? That's false modesty, you know, right? Because because what you're saying is you're saying that, that there's some scenario in which the Lord would otherwise look at somebody and say, now there's somebody with skills and tools that I could really benefit from. He doesn't need a thing from you to do what it is that he wants to do. He's got that covered, but you, oh, you need everything. You need everything that he has to give. And so what does he promise to give you? His life. Coursing through you. His life. And what he asks of us is for us to come to him then as whole people. And to say there's no part of me that isn't attached to you. There's no part of me that isn't nurtured and fed by you, that we are fully known and still loved and we're given this purpose in this life because of his grace. I don't know how the Lord is going to work in your life this year. It's February. We're just getting started. He's done plenty, I'm sure, at this point, but I don't know all that he's going to do in your life or mine. But if your faith is in Jesus, here's what I do know. I know that he will do things through you. And he will do things in you. How do I know this? I know this because his life courses through your veins. Because he is the vine and you are the branch. And he produces fruit through you. So don't treat your relationship with Jesus like a part-time thing. Be circumspect about that. Don't believe for a second that he's only interested in the better parts of you either. Because as the vine dresser, the Father sees you, he knows you. And he desires that we would be healthy and whole. And so he prunes and he trains and he tends to us 
but he does so not as objects of scorn, but as objects of affection. His vineyard. As people who are both beloved and useful. I want to close with this. Throughout this series, I have sensed, and I've said so from this pulpit a number of times, I've sensed that maybe the Lord is speaking to someone or several someones who are in the process of entering into a relationship with Jesus for the first time. And I don't have names or faces in my head when I say that. I don't know. I really don't know. But I can't shake the thought either. And so if throughout this series you are somebody who feels like you are being pursued by the hound of heaven, I felt that maybe you're here within the sound of my voice. At least I think I have. And that the Lord might be doing a work of conversion in a heart or two here. And if that's you, I don't know it. But I want to close by talking to you for a second. And the first thing I want to say is you are dear to the heart of God. You have no idea how loved you are. Whatever your fears and your apprehensions might be, what I can tell you is this. It is not an easy thing to follow Jesus in this world. Because this world insists that you prioritize yourself first. And Jesus says, no, you lay down your life. But if you are searching desperately for a life that fits, for a life that fits all the complexity that comes along with your pain and your fear and your hurt, and you know that you haven't found it yet, it's because you won't find it apart from Jesus. It's because there is a life that was meant to flow through you that only Jesus can give. If he is doing a pruning work in your life, if he is thwarting your best efforts to find that life anywhere else, it is not because he holds you in contempt. It is because he loves you and he is tending to your heart even now calling you to believe. And this love that he has for you is perfect and it's eternal. And so you don't have to keep running and you don't have to keep pretending and you don't have to keep fighting. You can instead cast yourself upon him and he will catch you. And we, this church, will help. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that to be a follower of yours is not to merely sign on to a list of doctrines. And in the same breath, I thank you that to follow you 
is to be guided and led by doctrine. That you are not some nebulous, impersonal feeling, but that you are a person who is righteous and holy and calls us into a relationship with you that is one of clarity and truth. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to know you more deeply. For those who may be within the sound of my voice right now who are exploring what a relationship with you could be like but haven't bowed their knee to you, Father, would you bring them home in this relationship? Would you, would you call them to yourself? Would you show them the beauty of your words when you talk about abiding in us and us abiding in you, that there is no separation between your eternal life and our existence, that you have given us life that comes from you. And uh, we thank you for this, Lord. Go before us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.